on today's show, we're going to be uh, focusing on uh, the criminal justice system and uh, some of its various uh, aspects and uh, flaws, of course. And uh, our uh, first guest, uh, uh, Anthony Sims, uh, we've co- uh, covered his story um, over the, the last couple of years. And uh, um, it's uh, we're really excited to have him join us. Uh, and the reason we want to, we're excited to talk to Anthony today is, uh, we're currently living, uh, through a moment where the fear of crime has led to a backlash against criminal justice reform. That nebulous phrase that encompasses the many strategies that have been tried in recent years to reform the workings of police departments, district attorneys' offices, courts, and prisons. So what happens when the justice system incarcerates someone on flimsy evidence that is later called into question? And how do they rebuild their lives when they are released dec- after decades of incarceration? Well, today we're uh, going to be joined by Anthony Sims. Uh, Anthony w- was convicted in a 1998 slaying of Li Run Chen at a Bushwick Chinese food joint. Uh, the prosecution's case was built around the testimony of a witness whose story has since been found to be awash in contradictions. Anthony was paroled, paroled last fall after 24 years behind bars. He is still seeking to clear his name. He has a court hearing on Friday where Judge Danny Chun uh, could throw out his conviction. Meanwhile, Anthony is about to begin a fellowship with the Ford Foundation. Years of preparation while he was incarcerated have put Anthony in a place to succeed after his release. Uh, joining us now to talk about all this and more is Anthony Sims. Anthony, welcome to WBAI Radio. Thank you for having me. You bet. Uh, so, first of all, uh, since your release uh, last fall, uh, how has it felt to be a free man again? And what have you enjoyed most about your freedom after uh, more than two decades of incarceration? <clears throat> That's an interesting uh, term, freedom, because although I'm, I'm free out physically, I'm still fighting this legal thing. However, mm-hmm. it feels great to be outside. Um, one of the things I looked forward to is just doing things on my own, little things such as going to the store, paying bills, um, getting in the car without being shackled up and just driving. You know, spending time with my wife, my kids and stuff. It's just the little things that I look forward to. Right. And and they must have been looking forward for a long time to seeing you back home as well. Yes. And um, so we we can't, uh, can't go into the details of your uh, case uh, uh, too much on the air, but uh, you, you told you've told me before that you're optimistic that at Friday's uh, court hearing, uh, uh, Judge uh, Chun uh, might uh, toss your conviction. Yeah, that's our goal. I mean. We're just waiting to hear like if the final verdict of the 440 hearing has been in the judge's hands now, Judge Chen. And it's Friday he'll decide if he's going to exonerate me or what. But if he does, it'll be something long overdue and I'll be able to move on fully with my life. So I'm optimistic. Great. And and uh, can you tell us about uh, your time in prison, how you persevered for more than two decades and how you, uh, you sought to make the most of the opportunities that were available to you there. Right. So, of course, it was difficulty being in prison and away from my family, um, not to mention for something I didn't do. However, I realized when I came to prison, I was still a father. I was still a husband. I was still a son. So I wanted to do the right thing in prison. I wanted to get involved. I got involved in a lot of volunteer programs. Um, I did a lot of anti-aggression programs, a lot of relationship programs, fatherhood forms, like any volunteer program that they had available, I decided to take and try to be like a mentor to not only my sons and not only better myself, but those around me as well. And also the college. I got into college, but, and that's really helped me out tremendously. And I would definitely ask everybody to, that is incarcerated to further their degree of their education. What did you uh, study through the BARD uh, program? Liberal arts. Um, they realized that a lot of us incarcerated, we, it, it was better for us to get a broad spectrum of different things in general instead of just focusing on one thing because it would make it easier for us to obtain employment. So that's what we did, liberal arts. What did, what did you uh, enjoy or find most, uh, um, I guess, revealing in your studies? That- um. 
I believe it or not, I enjoyed philosophy, um, especially existentialism. And I also enjoyed taking a Mandarin course. Uh, it was a two year Mandarin course that we took and just, just being a way, being able to step aside, although we were still incarcerated, still in prison, being in a college program at BPI was almost like shielded us and created a little bubble for us to get together and function as if we were on a campus. So we would study together. We would um, help each other out, tutor each other. We would walk through the halls together. And it was almost like a little uh, community inside of the prison. A campus, in, uh, sort of a campus behind bars. Yes. And, and these, uh, these uh, volunteer programs you participated in, uh, how, how, how did they work? Uh, um, yeah, how, how, how do, for, obviously for those of us who've never been in this position, how, how are y'all able to help each other and, and how are these programs structured and, and how much, uh, do they seem to assist, uh, other inmates? Okay. So I'll try to take you on a quick trajectory of my study uh-huh. throughout. So, um, in 1999, I was sentenced to Greenhaven. I was, um, placed in Greenhaven Correctional Facility. At that point, I got involved with a program called Alternative to Violence Project. And it's the short acronym was AVP. And that program created a space for us that was incarcerated to talk about the things that they said we shouldn't talk about, like our families, how we're feeling, um, different things that we're going through at that time. We focused on building blocks such as affirmation, communication, community trust building, and conflict resolution. And we were able to do these mini workshops. So it would be a three-day workshop we would do for the basic, a three-day workshop for the advanced, and then so forth. And that got me to thinking in a different way and actually trying to find different ways to deal with aggression. From there, I got into the Osborne program. Osborne, I was really, I joined them because of the parenting course that they had there. And I wanted to become a better father. So they taught us different things that we need to know about fatherhood, what it's just like being a father, and also behind the wall, I mean, long distance. And I got involved in uh, HIV and AIDS awareness facilitation. So I wanted to learn more about that so that I could have the conversation with my children. Then I got involved in Exodus and so forth and so forth. So all of these programs did different things for us at different times. And together, they helped create, I don't know, like this, this, this intentionally human being that I call myself today. Mm. And little by little, it was able to frame my rehabilitation, but also my reentry. So I did every day in prison as if I was going home the next day. And I always wanted to be ready. I even I renewed my driver's license throughout all of these years. So when I got out, I had a valid driver's license, which is unheard of, <laughs> but I was able to do that. So yeah, these programs just helped out tremendously. You got the leg up on a lot of New Yorkers with a valid uh, driver's <laughs> license. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, um, and, and, now, now that you've been released, uh, what what have you uh, been up to uh, since you came home last fall? Um, I remember I went to Albany to help support Senator Myrie's 440 conviction bill. Okay. So, so um, a lot of political activism, so to speak. Um, I got involved in a criminal justice initiative when I was in Queensboro and. I did a policy proposal for in Columbia University to try to reimplement work release for violent offenders again. And I, I know some people may be like, well, why would you want to do that? And my thing is, in reentry, when people are about to be released, they face two big hurdles, employment and housing. So I figured violent offenders are coming home anyway. Why not make society safer by help preparing them to come home and getting them acclimated back into the, the workforce? So that was a big project, and we're looking forward to following through with that. A lot of fundraising things for um, different programs that are still active behind the wall and just trying to be an activist for the people that I left behind in prison. Right. And I know, mm-hmm. yeah, not all of them are innocent. A lot of them are not, matter of fact, but they're all a lot, a lot of them in and not all of them, but a lot of them in there are trying to rehabilitate themselves. And I want people to know that they're more the, the guys in prison are more than just what they're incarcerated for. They're human beings. They made bad choices. I don't want to say mistakes because it was a choice. Whatever happened, happened. But they're not, they're not all bad. And it, you know what I'm saying? It's trying yeah. to find ways to help out. Right. Cause it, it, it's so easy to just put a, a single label on someone and, and for, 
one thing they did at one time and, and, and not, not only not see the totality of the person, but not see their potential to change and evolve. Correct. Um, and, and, uh, to what extent do you think, uh, the homelessness problem that we see in New York City and, uh, other parts of this country, it is a product of, of, uh, failed, uh, reentry of, of people being released without the support they need and, and just ending up on the streets? I would say that as, as major. Unfortunately, I saw a lot of people that were released, were getting released to shelters and, I mean, especially if you did a long period of time like me, I did them 25 years. I was fortunate to be able to come home to my wife. But after all of those times, I mean, prison is designed to rip and tear families apart. Mm. So you may start off strong, but after a decade, after two decades plus, then basically we, for the most part, most of the people are on their own. And then, right, if they don't have a, a, a base or a place to go home to with some help, it gets dangerous and they get kicked out of the shelters. Nobody wants to take them in. And yeah, then they, they wind up getting kicked out on the street. And that's, that's really bad, which is why I think more programs should be implemented in, in prisons to help the rehabilitation process, but more so help the reentry process. Right. And, and tell us about your new position at the uh, Ford Foundation. Uh, uh, what, what that's about. So that's interesting. Again, I, I thank Bard for this because through BPI, um, what does Bard, BPI stand for? Bard Prison Initiative. Okay. So Bard, Bard Prison Initiative was designed to not only help us inside, but to be there for us when we got released. So as soon as I was released, we had a reentry program and they paid us to basically teach us about tech, about wellness, about different things. We, we did a Bard reentry course. And during the course, they kept putting bulletins out for job placement. And they wanted to make sure that we found suitable jobs that fit us. So, of course, the Ford Foundation just made sense to me because of what they are. And, you know, I'm saying deal involved. They they deal with, you know, criminal justice. They deal with inequality. They deal with so many things. So any place I could be inside of that program, I wanted to be. And it's going to start off in, uh, I think I'm going to be start off in probably people culture, which is HR, and then get like a tutorial throughout the um, foundation to see what I want to do down the line and then see where I fit in. So you, your your uh, hope here is to uh, continue with the, the Ford Foundation. This is sort of like a, um, a, a chance to sort of sample what they do and, and, and then kind of find where you best uh, best fit in there? Yes, and I would love to be a part of the onboarding process. I would love to be like the Ford Foundation is just a, a great foundation. So, yeah, my goal is to stay there as long as possible and to just soak up all the knowledge that they have so that I can help other people and be a part of, you know, what I'm saying helping to fix certain things. And right. And, and, and they're active in the criminal, I guess what you'd call it criminal justice reform or uh, mass incarceration issues. Yep. Nice. Um, and, uh, and and are there other formerly incarcerated people you you've met at the Ford Foundation? There... Well, I don't know who all got uh, made it through the selection process because it was a rigorous uh, process to get through. Okay. So I I think maybe a handful of us got through. I'm not sure. Okay. And um, probably as soon as next week or the week after, I'll probably be going down there. And we'll probably find out who else if if anybody else got accepted to the Ford Foundation. Got it. And, um, we're, uh, we're, we're, uh, talking with Anthony Sims here on WBAI radio 99.5 FM. Um, before we go here in a minute, Anthony, oh, uh, any final thoughts that uh, you would like to share with our, our listeners, uh, as far as what you would want them to know, um, uh, about, uh, the experiences of incarcerated people and, um, you know, what they may should, should uh, take away from uh, your experience and other people's experiences that isn't necessarily reflected in in the mass media. That uh, one thing I want to take away with is that there's a lot of success stories, right? Um, unfortunately, the new the media is quick to point out the failures when people come out and 
they come right back to prison for whatever reason. But I, I would like to talk about the success story. Since I've been out, I've ran into a lot of formerly incarcerated individuals that are very, very successful. A lot of them have created paths for other people to follow. Mm-hmm. And that there's a lot of jobs open now. There's a lot of opportunities for us. And I want everybody to know that not everybody incarcerated is a, is a, is an animal, right? And let the media tell it we're all animals, uncivilized, this and that. And that's not true. There are some bad people in prison. I, I want to make that plain too, right? Because not everybody is really looking forward to rehabilitating themselves, but we're human. And some people made very, very bad choices, but that doesn't make them criminals and that doesn't make them social misfits. And I would ask that, you know, people welcome some of these people back into the community who are trying to really strive to do the right thing and not blackball them because they're going to need that help and support. Okay, we'll leave it there. But Anthony Sims, thank you so much for joining us this evening on the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Thank you for having me. You bet. Okay. We'll be back with more after this short music break. You should have been downtown. The people are rising. We thought it was a lockdown. They opened the fire. Them bullets are flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lie. Oh my. Time heals all, but you out of time now. Judge gotta watch us from the clock tower. Little tear gas cleared the whole place out. I'll be back with the hazmat for the next round. We was trying to protest and the fires broke out. Look out for the secret agents, they be planted in the crowd. Set a civil unrest, but you sleep so sound like you don't hear the screams when we catching beat down. Staying quiet when they killing, but you speak loud when we ride. Got opinions coming from a place of privilege. Sicker than the COVID, how they did them on the ground. Speaking of the COVID, is it still going around? Why won't you tell me about the looting? What's that really all about cause they throw away black lives like paper towels plus unemployment rate what 40 million now killed a man in broad day might never see a trial we just want to break chains like slaves in the south started in the north end but we in the downtown riot cops try to block now we got a showdown down you should have been downtown the people are rising who said it was a lockdown goddamn lies that was Lockdown by Anderson Pock. You are listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, John Tarleton. My co-host, Ama Gagarian, is away this week. Uh, but we will have a chance to hear from her uh, in a few minutes. Uh, Amba was uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia this weekend covering the Cop City uh, Convergence uh, and all the uh, fireworks that uh, went on there. And and uh, I had a chance to interview her earlier today uh, about that experience uh, since she wasn't going to be able to uh, join us live on the air today. So we'll get to that in a in a few minutes, uh, a major uh, national struggle that's really opened up in Atlanta around this massive uh, police training facility uh, that uh, the city there is seeking to build and uh, in the process uh, uh, wipe out a large swath of forest on the edge of the city. We'll talk, be talking about all that soon. However, I want to uh, take a minute uh, to encourage everyone who can do so to support WBAI radio. The number 212-209-2950. When you give to WBAI, you make it possible for people like Anthony Sims to come on the radio and tell his story and share his wisdom and insights after more than two decades behind bars. No other radio station in New York, no other television station, very few media outlets would, uh, give a platform to, to people like Anthony and to all kinds of other activists and uh, thinkers and artists that you hear on the airwaves here at WBAI with our news and public affairs coverage, uh, cultural shows, uh, uh, the music shows, uh, absolutely unique uh, lineup here on the station, 212-209-2950. You can also go online, pull out the plastic, and make your contribution at give number two, WBAI.org. 
And the very best way you can support this station is to become a WBAI buddy. For as little as $10 a a month, you can uh, help keep this station uh, uh, moving forward. And you get all sorts of awesome uh, perks and benefits with that. Uh, you can uh, see all all the different uh, perks at if you go to give number two wbai.org you can check it out and then sign up to become a wbai buddy or you can just take my word for it it's awesome to become a wbai buddy uh, I did it uh, earlier that well actually last year uh, and you can go on on your phone two one two two zero nine two nine five zero and more than the perks and benefits of being a WBA buddy, you get the satisfaction of knowing you are create, you are contributing to the collective effort to keep this station on the air. We all know it faces a number of challenges. The most immediate one is to pay the bills at four times square where we have our uh, transmitter and antenna on top of a 52 story skyscraper right in the middle of Manhattan beaming the WBAI signal across the five boroughs in the greater New York City region into the Hudson Valley, Long Island, New Jersey. And, and that's only possible because we all collectively make this happen. And it's not just uh, the, the, the staff and the programmers here at the station, but it's all of you, all of our listeners who give, whether you can give a little or give a lot, 212-209-2950. It's that collective effort that has kept this station on the air for 63 years. We don't, we, we don't have big corporate backers. We don't have, uh, any, um, billionaires to help us along as, uh, other, uh, uh, more corporate outlets have, but that makes it possible for this station to be truly independent. And, and, you know, if, if you have the kind of, uh, leftist values that you that you believe that it's through a collective effort and collective struggle that we can achieve things that we cannot achieve as individuals and and that applies in many spheres of life but it it also applies to this radio station if you have those values you believe uh it, that collective effort uh and shared effort uh it makes it possible for us to all live better to all thrive more please Think about giving to this radio station, 212-209-2950. It's a chance to live your values, and it's a chance to support the station that uh, you enjoy listening to throughout the week with all the excellent programming we have here. One more time, become a WBAI buddy, 212-209-2950, or go to uh, give, uh, number 2, WBAI.org, and uh, let them know. Uh, you want to support the independent news hour in particular, but really you're supporting all the shows on this station. And, and we really need your support to continue moving forward. Uh, so in our, our second segment today, as I mentioned a little while ago, uh, we will look at cop city, uh, a massive new police training facility that's being built on the edge of, uh, of Atlanta, Atlanta's political leaders described cop city as a progressive response to the george floyd protests of 2020 and, and the demands that were raised by some for better police training however critics of cop city and uh, of this 90 million dollar project say it promotes the further militarization of policing cop city has become a magnet for protesters not only in atlanta but from around the country on january 18th a forest defender named uh, tortuguita or miguel uh, Turan was his actual name, but his forest name was Tortuguita. Uh, he was, uh, they were shot and killed by the police during a raid of a protest encampment inside the Walani forest. It marked the first time in the history of the United States that an environmental activist has been killed by the police. Uh, this past weekend, hundreds of protesters returned to the Walani forest to begin a week of action against Cop City. There was a two-day music festival this weekend, and late Sunday afternoon, more than 200 uh, protesters broke away from the music festival and marched to the Cop City construction site, where they set fire to some of that, uh, some of the equipment that's being used to erect Cop City. Of course, this made national headlines. Uh, it, our, it, the Independence Associate Editor, Amba Gagarian, also the co-host of the show, was on hand for Cop City 
the, the Cop City Convergence this weekend. And I spoke with Amba earlier today about what she uh, saw and heard and why Cop City has taken on a significance that extends well beyond Atlanta. Uh, Amba, welcome back from Atlanta, and thanks for joining us today on the Independent News Hour. Yeah, great to be here, as always, and thank you. Uh, for starters, can you briefly paint a picture of the Wahani, the Wahani Forest, uh, the the land that is in dispute here and some of the history around it. Okay. So we're going to have to start again, but then we got to go from this one. It's not Wahani. It's Wolani. It's also called the South river, uh, South, the South river forest. Okay. All right. For starters, can you paint a picture of the Wolani forest, the land that is in dispute here and some of the history around it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's South Atlanta, right at the beginning of DeKalb County, right on the border between DeKalb County and Fulton County. So Fulton County is what Atlanta is. So it counts as part, you know, Atlantans see it as part of the city. It's considered as the largest urban forest in the country, uh, over 85 acres of land near 100 acres. And uh, right now it's basically set up or it was until recently set up as your typical sort of like you can drive into a parking lot and go walk in these trails in the woods. Like anybody who maybe has lived in greener parts of the states and can imagine you pull up on the side of the road, you park, you walk around for for a while there's miles of uh greenway you know a cement path through the forest to either ride your bike or walk on and it is um right up against the old atlanta prison farm um which is the area um which they would uh, around which and sort of out of which they want to create this 85 acre which would be the largest of its kind police training facility um for police in the area and um elsewhere as well so the uh, history is interesting too. That area is called either the South River Forest or is referred to as locals and many of the activists involved and the, the indigenous people still there is the Wolani Forest because that's what it was called. Um, the Muscogee people were the, was the native group in that area, um, up until, you know, 400 years ago and that was Wolani to them. Now that was a hard fought over area between the Muscogee and the settlers and it was actually a central taking off point. Um, for Indian removal or to the Trail of Tears. Then it was a plantation land, and then it became a prison farm. And so prison farm is where during Jim Crow, you know, prisoners were amassed to work, essentially. Um, and then after that, I think it was dormant for a while. There's disputes on who it belongs to, whether some of this land is public, whether it belongs to Black Rock Studios, which is a basically Hollywood-style studio right there in the mix. Um, so they're trying to expand the studio and they're trying to create this prison facility there now and they have begun um, some of the construction which is what led to ramped up um, clashes between organizers and police over the recent months. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute as well uh, but uh, to briefly summarize uh, can you talk about the objections to uh, this facility uh, that activists refer to as Cop City and and how it's brought together both critics of the criminal justice system and uh, environmental groups as i said before it's the it's the largest urban forest in the country in general atlanta is referred to as the city of trees uh but there has been a lot of tree plowing there not only for this project but also for a lot of um new uh development of uh sort of subdivision type development and bringing in new young people so there's a lot of worries about protecting the forest the different um sort of uh ecosystems that exist there and animals and then there's concerns around uh the sewage problem there is a major sewage problem already where the forest floods with sewage when it rains and of course as we all know flooding gets worse when you cut down trees and then there's the the concerns over um sort of a police militarization and um wider ramping up of the police as a backlash to the george floyd protest of 2020 where we had a lot of uh police uh reform 
reform demand from activists, um, some saying abolish the police, defund the police, at the very least reform the police. And uh, what has happened in a lot of cases is that police has beca- police um, departments have become better funded and um, more militarized training has been sought after um, in order to, uh, you know, sort of potentially uh, face off protesters again is sort of the line of a lot of critiques. So, so I mean, there, there's a, a, a week of action going on, um, at, with activists in Atlanta around, around this, uh, Cop City project. Uh, can you talk about the immediate reasons that is happening and, uh, what you saw this weekend when hundreds of people, uh, converged on the Walani Forest, uh, to continue this protest against Cop City? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Cop City, the, the blueprint was brought to City Hall of Atlanta at least two years ago, and there's been resistance ever since from Atlantans, um, and others, uh, in City Hall. And then, uh, over a year and a half ago in June of 2020, protesters began an encampment in the woods themselves, uh, climate activists, forest defenders, is what they called themselves. And, uh, they began camping in there. They had tree houses built, um, in the woods to protect the trees living there and things got um, a bit more well police started raiding the forest basically at the end of last year and into January around mid-January only two protest defenders were living there uh, forest defenders sorry were living there anymore one of them was uh, named Tortuguita who uh, was also Manuel Toron um, an activist that was killed by the police on January 18th uh, they said that uh that Manuel shot at them, that's sort of disputed now um, because of the footage. But people gathered uh, in a week of action in response to that, because since then, all around the country, uh, activists in different cities have been getting together and saying, stop Cop City and Viva Tortuguita. So uh, in one ways, it's the same protest line as ever, which is stop Cop City. And now um, it's also um, anger, anger around the fact that the first People are saying the first environmental protester was killed in U.S. history on January 18th in those woods. So for a week of action, people from all over Atlanta and the country have come together uh, in the high hundreds at that at the Wilani Forest for events during the day. There was a music festival on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, people were camping there in the forest overnight. And then uh, there was one protest on Saturday, which had no police interaction through the woods. And there was another one on Sunday, um, which got very hairy. Um, right. So th- things got more tense on Sunday uh, late in the afternoon. Uh, there there was a, a second march into the woods. Uh, and, and that protest ultimately uh, led to arson at the construction site. Uh, made the story made national headlines. Uh, Thirty-five people have been arrested. Uh, uh, can can you explain uh, what was going on from your vantage point? Yeah. So on Sunday, um, as music was playing, hundreds of people were enjoying the festival. Um, not far um, from. The festival protesters gathered. They had their faces covered. Many were wearing black and camo. There was a group of around two to three hundred. Um, and that protest that started where the festival was and where the gathering in the week of action was um, sort of left that area, um, went through the woods to the part of the forest that has already been constructed, started to be constructed as a police training center and a surveillance center. And uh, they, you know, uh, went into that area and uh, lit a lot of the police gear on fire and uh and then retreated and uh sort of dispersed and the whole while the cops um were pretty inarguably aware of the track of the protesters and what they were doing and there was a helicopter there the whole time so um yet 
Um, they did not stop them as they began to trespass or right after they uh, vandalized the police property. Instead, they waited, I don't know, half an hour to an hour once some of them were allegedly back in the woods. And uh, while the, the festival was still going on, then uh, 50 to 100 or more, definitely 50 more, more than 50 police, tons of police from Georgia State Police, uh, APD, that's Atlanta Police, and then the DeKalb Police were there um, with full riot gear um, and uh, making arrests, what seemed to be somewhat indiscriminately in the woods, in the dark, um, and shutting the festival down, from which protesters left about a hundred of them linked in arms um, after being able to agree with the police to, to be able to leave safely while others were still probably being arrested in the woods. And many of those 23 of the 35 arrested have been charged with domestic terrorism, which many sort of um, uh, human rights groups are, are denouncing because this is setting a precedent now for um, high charges against protesters who are not um, physically hurting anybody but destroying property right and so but the uh, uh, protests have continued people spoke at city hall yesterday um so even though there there is arrests on sunday uh, other other actors are 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 getting involved in, including local Atlanta clergy I understand yeah and I think they they have been involved for a long time uh, um but I was at a, a rally sort of press conference in front of Atlanta City Hall that later went into City Hall yesterday at which there were um uh, many different leaders of faith um and uh, uh they were sort of they're still speaking out against the project, speaking out against police violence in Atlanta and speaking out against the narrative specifically that all the sort of protesters are not locals. While some are not locals, they were trying to make it sure that this is a locals fight. Right. And you also had a chance to uh, talk to people in the adjacent uh, neighborhood next to the Wilani forest, um, which I don't think any other journalist who covered uh, these events over the weekend did. What did, do you hear from those local residents? You know, John, it was a pretty mixed bag. I spoke with five to 10 people, um, that live in the very surrounding area. So anywhere from a half a mile max. Um, it's mostly pretty low income, black and brown neighborhood. Um, and, uh, people overall agreed on the fact that police need more, better training. Um, and then responses to the creation of the center and what the activists are doing varied from people being already not liking the police presence in the neighborhood because there is already a train, uh, a shooting range there and at least one prison facility. And, uh, you know, one woman told me she doesn't feel safe with that. So she doesn't really want any more. Many others were concerned about the, 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 the sound from the shooting range and having to see the forest be cleared. And then others were also critical of the protesters who in their mind have brought more trouble to the whole situation. Um, one elderly gentleman shared with me that, you know, he thought that basically the cops are bringing trouble to his neighborhood and others think that it's the protest bringing trouble. But overall, everyone agreed that they don't want to hear any more shooting. They don't really want to see the forest being cleared and that police need better training. Within that, there are different perspectives. Right. And uh, so what's your perspective? Uh, a final minute here on uh, where this uh, uh, struggle around Cop City goes and again, why it's of uh, significance uh, beyond Atlanta. Right. Um, and I think that's a pivotal sort of aspect of this whole conversation is, um, that this does seem to be a response to the George Floyd protest of 2020, as I said. Um, and I think that people need to be watching 
um, that it's more than just cop city, that police all around the country, police departments are responding in these ways. They're coming out with laws in North Carolina to charge protesters with violent protest, um, who did not participate in any violent acts, um, and, and, and much more than this. Um, so I think we see it here in New York City where the police department is the only department that continues with its, you know, same funding while every other department gets cut in the budget. So I think that's an important thing. And I think it's also so important to realize how we position ourselves against that and that this is an ongoing um struggle and uh and it's definitely not going to stop here and this is just the, the the maybe one of the next big news waves after 2020 but i think a lot of people learned a lot police and protesters on the streets in 2020 and we'll have a lot more to see okay well we'll leave it there uh Amy Gagarian, the independence associate editor just back from atlanta Thank you for joining us on today's Independent News Hour. Thank you. So, again, that was our associate editor, Abba Gagarian, uh, talking to us about uh, her weekend in Atlanta at the uh, uh, the Cop City uh, Convergence. Uh, Just want to share an announcement here. Uh, uh, Received this uh, information from uh, one of our listeners Uh, on March 9th. There will be a National Day of Action against uh, Police Terror. Uh, uh, their uh, their flyer uh, says, Demand justice for Tyree Nichols and Tortuguita. Uh, stop Cop City. Uh, they're calling all organizations, uh, organizers, students, community members, etc., uh, for a National Day of Action on March 9th. And um, we can uh, st- stay tuned for more information uh, about that. Again, a National Day of Action Against Police Terror on March 9th uh, that, uh, among other things, is calling for the closure of Cop City or calling for it to not even be built. Um, so, again, uh, great to have that report from AMBA. And we'll be back with more after this short music break. was People by Chico Hamilton. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. I'm your host, uh, John Tarleton. 
editor of The Independent. Uh, we're down to our last few minutes. Uh, we got off to a late start. We had hoped to uh, do some open phone lines, but uh, we're down to the last few minutes. Uh, a couple of things I want to hit on. Uh, of course, again, uh, please uh, consider supporting this radio station at 212-209-2950. You make it possible uh, for us to have uh, someone like Ambuk, uh joining us, giving us the very latest news uh, from the struggle against Cop City. And earlier in the show, we heard from uh, Anthony Sims, uh, recently released after uh, 25 years in prison and uh, really on the, at the forefront of efforts to uh, re-envision uh, uh, how incarcerated people can uh, successfully re-enter society. And uh, uh, you know, also, uh, just thinking about uh, the, the last segment, um, just sort of the copification of our society uh, here in New York, uh, you know, Eric Adams uh, always making news uh, uh, for better or worse. And uh, uh, just the, um, in the last couple of days, uh, giving his opinion that people shouldn't be able to wear masks uh, when, uh, when they go shopping, that it, it makes it easier for uh, shoplifting and other crimes to occur. Uh, you know what? What can you say about that? Uh, there's still people that have very good reason uh, for being concerned about uh, uh, COVID, and uh, and and now our mayor wants to essentially criminalize them uh, for trying to protect themselves and protect the people around them. And also another story that we're following uh, here at the Independent is the uh, mayor's race in Chicago, uh, where uh, they will have a runoff election on April fourth. And the two uh, uh, final candidates, uh, one is heavily endorsed uh, by the police union, um, uh, Paul Vallis, and the other, uh, Brandon Johnson, a uh, left-wing uh, candidate who has a long history with the teachers union in Chicago. So it's the cop union versus the teachers union uh, for who will lead Chicago for the next four years. And uh, that race and its outcome, uh, you know, I think will reverberate here in New York. Our mayor is up for re-election in two years. Um, incumbent mayors usually get reelected, but that didn't happen in Chicago where the incumbent Lori Lightfoot, uh, finished in third place in the, in the primary last week. Uh, so, uh, it, uh, Eric Adams, a very controversial, uh, figure. Some people love him. Others, uh, <laughs> others of us have a, a lot of doubts about what he's doing. So, uh, what's happening in Chicago may, uh, signal where, where we're headed next, uh, in New York when we have our election in a couple of years. And uh, so appreciate everybody joining us again this evening uh, and, and being able to listen along with uh, Anthony Sims and uh, Amber Gagarin, our guests. And uh, I'll be wrapping it up here. I want to thank our uh, uh, board operator, Reggie Johnson. Uh, we will be uh, off next week and, and back on March 21st. And uh, once again, one more time, 212-209-2877 or go to give number two wbai.org and uh, now we're going to uh, uh, sign off here uh, with some more of uh, People by Chico Hamilton You're tuned to listener-sponsored WBAI New York with a moment in women's history. What I'm curious to see, 
Do the Constitution of the United States mean anything? Fannie Lou Hamer was one of the most influential and powerful voices of the civil and voting rights movements. Born in 1917, Hamer grew up in poverty in the Mississippi Delta region, picked cotton starting when she was six years old. She underwent involuntary sterilization in 61, a common practice at the time to reduce the black population. She didn't know she had the right to vote until 1962 at a SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee meeting. And then she became an organizer in voter registration drives. We are a part of America because we didn't come here on our own. Our parents and our descendants was from Africa and we didn't come on our own, but we do want to be treated as human beings. And I'm fighting for human rights not for eco-right. In 1963, Fannie Lou Hamer was arrested at a sit-in protesting whites-only seating at a bus station. There she was severely beaten, resulting in lifelong injuries. By 64, she helped organize Freedom Summer and took part in organizing the Freedom Democratic Party and fought to run for Congress, challenging the local Democratic Party's efforts to block black participation. We knew from the beginning that we wouldn't be seated, but we wanted to to explain our side, whereas in a state that 42% of the people can't register, they wasn't representing us. And I think somebody, it's time now for somebody to be in Congress that's going to represent the people of Mississippi. And we wasn't allowed to go inside, but that didn't stop the challenge. By 1968, Hamer's vision for racial parity and delegations became a reality, and she was a member of Mississippi's first integrated delegation. And in 71, she helped found the National Women's Political Caucus. You can hear more from Fannie Lou Hamer and other trailblazers by becoming a WBAI buddy, a sustaining member for $15 a month. That's only 50 cents a day, and you'll receive WBAI's historic women's history collection and a WBAI tote bag. Please go to women.wbai.org to become a buddy in the name of your favorite program or all programs, women.wbai.org, or call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, and say, yes, I want to do my part. I want to become a WBAI buddy, our friend, our sustaining member at $15 a month. 212-209-2950. Please join the other new buddies to WBAI, other new people who have become buddies who realize that free speech really isn't free. We need to pay our bills. So please become a WBAI buddy. 212-209-2950 and join other listeners this month who've become WBAI buddies in honor of women's history. This is listener-sponsored WBAI New York. Wednesday, March 8th, is International Women's Day. It was started by socialists as a day to celebrate the great labor uprising led by women that took place in New York City in 1909. IWD falls in early March, which is Women's History Month, a month that was inspired by Black History Month after feminists who were